0: Let's phone a friend! Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah! Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it, Okay, that's enough.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick this week's guest is Jeremy. He's a funeral home director and the founder of Death Ed. Let's talk about it. All right, guys, I'm I just want to start this by saying uh, a I'm so freaking excited. Because it's October. It's my favorite month of the year. The spookiest month of the year. And this episode right here uh, is going to kick off our themed month of talking all about death for the next little while. And who better to dive headfirst into the world of death than with our new friend Jeremy Allen, uh, the founder of Death Ed, and a funeral home director... Or would you just say funeral funeral
2: director, Director, funeral homeowner, (laughs) but yeah, funeral director and bombers are like graduated title. Uh,
3: Have you watched Ozark?
2: The Ozarks?
3: Yeah. Have you watched that show and how much, how much is your job like, like that?
2: Like laundering money?
3: Yeah, laundry money for, for, yeah, for, 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 drug, uh, for drug for drug yeah. drugs. <laughs> I feel like well, where's, where's I this feel going? like
2: that's what I got into this for and have been like terrifically disappointed ever since. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you just watched Ozark
3: your and you're like, oh, I've okay. not been approached
2: by one like, you know, off the record opportunity to date. Um, you know, which is good because I fucking bruise like a peach, so I would never last in the Ozarks. And uh but yeah, no, it's it is uh Funeral director and bomber would be our our title given through the Canadian College of Funeral Service and the board that overlooks us. And uh, mm. yeah, right.
1: Our- so Jeremy, I, I mean, people can't see you, but uh, because uh, this is a audio podcast, but um, like I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you, <clears throat> this young buck with uh, you know like a, a pretty a pretty sweet uh, beard coming in, a cool guy hat. <laughs> like you look like. You, if I was like, if I was just gonna sit here and guess what what you do for a living, it would fucking certainly not be funeral director slash embalmer. I would be like, oh, I don't know, this guy like does like like rigging or some (laughs) sort of like helicopter like rescue work or some (laughs) shit. Lives out in Alberta. Maybe he's like, yeah, maybe like maybe works in the oil fields. I don't like. You look like you're outside. You're doing shit with your hands or something like manly, fucking, masculine, like hard labor work. But no, you you just yeah, work which with is hilarious because folks. you just
2: described everything and, i'm not i kind of look like somebody that's just <laughs> absolutely fucking terrible at playing the guitar and has very sporadic income and <laughs> yeah, yeah, i was gonna
3: yeah. say you look i was gonna say you look like yeah,
2: you chill for a living <laughs> yeah. and yeah, uh, it's and it's great, funny because like like i am probably the least uh like physically like labor-wise inclined person you may ever meet like it's like, legit, my okay. wife, Bailey, and I, who's also my business partner in Gregory's Funeral Home, Death Ed. Uh, she has a business called Bailey Allen Makeup. And collectively, this all falls in this one place that's called the Allen Collective. That's our that's about what houses all of this. Anyways, Bailey's, like, we joke about, like, having these two CEOs of our business because we live in a world that mm. is ridiculously captured by having identity in, in a title, which which I don't align with. But anyways... Uh, so the CEOs of like our business and Bailey's the chief executive officer. Cause like, she's super like systematic, like really f- fucking intelligent, really good at what she does. And I'm like the chief emotional officer, you know, mm-hmm. that just like shows up in all those emo- emotionally intelligent ways. And which like applies to our home life. We've got three kids. And it's like not uncommon that like oh, yeah. Bailey's like doing some electrical work and hanging pictures, and I'm like getting things ready for dinner, making sure the laundry's done, everybody's where they need to be. So it's just like, yeah, man. I
1: so how does it? How, how does a young family like yourself with three kids like how do you end? How do you end up where you are? How, like because I so I was I was I was having a conversation earlier today about about funeral homes and like. It it seems like the type of business that's like totally. handed down from generation to generation to generation. Is this like an like an long time family run thing? So no, not like, at all. It's Did you uh, and your wife just I
2: like, like Man, you're going to notice like the more excited you get, the more I start saying the word fuck. So hopefully uh, I don't know how much editing <laughs> is required in your show but uh um, None. Almost none. <laughs> uh, <laughs> delightful. Not, not much. Yeah. We uh I'll just I'll walk you through it. I'll try to give you the condensed version. I'm a first generation funeral director and embalmer, which means like it's not something that was done in my family prior to me, uh, which is pretty unusual for young people coming in. Uh, typically, uh, historically speaking, I would say more and more it's becoming a viable uh, career option for young people. Um, but I've been in funeral service for over 15 years now, and like my foothold or like my my footway into it was I was actually in grade 12. Um, and <laughs> the, I was, my grade 12 year it was like getting ready for graduation. We were writing all of our finals and my dad actually was a, a vice principal at the uh, school that I taught at. And like, you know, like how, like when you're 16 and 17 and people have this absolutely ridiculous expectation for you to pick what you want to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, so I totally. was like, my answer at that point in time was just like, I either thought I was going to be a teacher because I, like I came from a lineage of educators, uh, or possibly a youth pastor. And like the simple reality of those two things was I fucking hated school and I like drank and party too much to ever be a youth pastor. So my <laughs> lifestyle didn't really line up for that. And so like how this ended up in funeral service was, uh, I actually got caught cheating on my social 30 diploma and almost got expelled. And, uh, and s- which again, at the school that my dad was the vice principal at. So like, it was a real black mark on. Uh- oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. um, anyway, oh, so no. fast forward a few weeks, a very well-written apology <clears> letter <throat> and like a second shot at life. They let me rewrite. And we were coming back from Edmonton where I was rewriting, rewrote my social test. And uh, my parents were just like, you know, your aunt happens to work at a funeral home in Calgary and they're looking for some help, and we were just wondering if maybe you want to go give that a try. I was like, absolutely not. That sounds that sounds kind of awful, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? <laughs> As you would at that age, I Yeah, right, yeah because like, like, I was eighteen. They're like, what do you want to be? I'm like, I don't know, fuck, like a fire truck. I still have to figure <laughs> it out. yeah figured um, out. And they were like, yeah. So I was, they were like, do you want to give this a try? I was like, not really. They are like, okay, well, so we're going to, we're actually on our way to Calgary. We're going to go interview for this job. So it was just like, I basically just got thrown right into it. And it was like my parents way of just feeling like I needed a change of scenery. And that was like, that was the opportunity to get me out of that original setting. And, and was this, that,
3: was that like a, was it a, right. was it a, uh, was it like, oh my God, this is going to be so awful. And then it clicks right away. Or is it something that, you know, sucks as much as you thought that it would for the first little while. And then it kind of grew on you over time. What was that like?
2: I would say, uh, I don't know if I used to have the words for it. So like trying, like using the words I have now to rewalk through that experience, I've always found myself like really emotionally connected to human beings, you know, and, you know, and, and really comfortable Mm. in, in quite vulnerable Mm. environments. And so I became really connected because I was just like this, literally this 18 year old kid, um, you know, that just had the opportunity to, like, drive families in limousines and hand out cards at funerals and go to nursing homes at 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, like, so it was, I actually became quite connected to to the relationship side of everything, mm-hmm. um you know, but, like, it was fucked up. Like, let's be honest, like, you know, like, it, it was a crazy experience to be a part of because the funeral home I worked for there did, like, 3,000 funerals a year. <clears throat> so it was just like... Whoa.
3: Yeah, Whoa. it was. So, Holy I mean, shit. like, you would go wow. into the
2: prep room, and at any point in time, there'd be like 20 or 30 people, like, bodies in the prep room. Whoa. And I uh, like, which, like, and I'm, like, here's actually a fun little side fact I'm fucking afraid of the dark. So it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> that I ended and,
3: up here. And Halloween's my least favorite time of the year.
2: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like Jeremy said there, yeah, it's, yeah. Kind of,
3: um, it's kind of, it's kind of, oh, my God. Did I just lose my uh, lose my train of thought there? Um, oh, I wanted well, while you I'll think about that, Jeremy Taylor. Thought. I
0: wanted to, to
3: say, Jeremy. Like I was, I
0: was, I I thought before, and I kind of had like the initial, same kind of thought that that Jared did, where it's like, how does a person like this end up as as a funeral home director? And as soon as you said, as soon as you said that you were an empathetic um person, and and you really connect with people, mm. and it's 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 about the relationships. As somebody who <laughs> like also identifies as being Ooh. a bit of an empath. I like immediately I was like, Oh shit, that makes a ton of sense. Like I never thought of it that way. Cause it, yeah. it seems like when I picture funeral director or a funeral home, I, I feel like it's just like almost like isolating experience where you're there just with dead bodies <laughs> for lack of a better way to yeah, describe it. Yeah. But it's it. like, that's actually then, like, such a I think you know,
2: small part of the job. I mean, it's a huge it's, part it's, of right. the and, like, job I, I, but it's like I, time-wise. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm only kind of imagining that now, mm-hmm. though, where I think of like, holy shit, there's so many people who are like in some of like dealing like with some of the hardest challenges in their life where they're losing a loved one or something that they yeah. love. And, and they're trying to emotionally come to terms with that, you know, like very soon after losing that person and how difficult of an experience Ooh. that would be. And to be somebody who's helping them navigate through that experience would be a
2: incredible. really
0: rewarding experience.
2: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, like the the parts of it that I feel like, you know, just to try to better explain or better put to words, to try to give you insight to that, um, you know, again, like when I was 18 and doing it, I think something I was tapped into from a very young age was I wasn't trying to do it the way that everybody else has, you know, like mm-hmm. where, like, you know, I was 18, I had a, you know, I had a faux hawk, I had frosted tips <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I was everything that most white, guys from rural Alberta were in 2003 you know I'd puka shells and, and the whole world <laughs> not at work but uh, <laughs> and, but what I realized was you know and, and a lot of my employers had a trouble with like with this young approach because they wanted you to fit this mold of like this is what funeral directors look like or this is how they act or this is you know and the reality that I right. I tapped into was well like My relatability to these, especially like when we talk about typically who we serve as an older generation, you know, of course there's exceptions, which are extremely sad, Mm. but typically when we serve, they're an older generation. So my connection wasn't as, uh, you know, as a peer or as a professional, like I was connected to them in the ways that like their grandkids. Right. right? Yeah. You know, and so like Mm. somebody that's 18, 19, 20, 22 years old that can show Mm. up with these high levels of empathy uh, was very admirable in my opinion, you know, like that, that just led to like really, really unique connection, you know, and and the words I've put to it recently, mm. you know, and trying to attach like tangible lessons now, like with the death ed kind of motive is what I've learned, Brian, in that, like in those immediate moments of loss where families invite us to, to join and participate with them in, in their grief is when we lead with, excruciating vulnerability meaning when i can be aware of and acknowledge you genuinely in your loss so leading with that excruciating vulnerability it creates a connection and once we're connected you know i can build trust Mm. with you and once i build trust with you Mm. it results in a relationship and once we have a relationship you'll truly enable me to do my job and take care of your loved one and in turn walk your family home through all of this
0: Mm -hmm. that's really powerful i i mm. I just want to ask about that though like is is there like um do you have a go go to way to like, I imagine that if you see, you know, 3000 deaths a year, 3000 yeah. people coming through your funeral home, like that, I imagine that a lot of these conversations become kind of repetitive, almost to a certain extent, like each one obviously mm. is unique in its own way. But like, is there almost like have you developed, like,
2: almost like a... Like a, a curriculum a, or...
0: A, a, like like a formula to express vulnerability.
2: Yeah, can so, e- yeah, I think email. The, so yeah. now to, like, fast forward to, to where we are now, um, we serve about 60 to 70 families a year. So it's a lot okay. smaller, a lot more personal approach. And, like, it's just myself and, I, uh, you know, uh, Katrina, another full-time funeral director embalmer here, and Chanel, and uh, an embalmer working towards her funeral directoring. So, like, it's a really like small funeral home in that in like you know funeral homes are kind of weird they kind of base their success off of call volume you know how many families do you serve a year we take a completely different approach which is like quality meaning i give a shit how many calls we do a year it's how are we serving these families and mm-hmm. i think one of like the different approaches of that mindset is i'd like to think you know for sure there are some parallels in the experience of, of what each family will will have uh have experienced but I think the meaningful part is that like we can truly in, in each different setting uh, create a totally unique experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, volume kind of se- seems mm-hmm. crazy anyway, because like what if people just aren't dying? What are you doing? Going out like fucking yeah. offing some people behind the scenes to, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. exactly.
3: everyone's always in the business of dying. <laughs> you know, like, like there's no, there's never any, there it's, doesn't it's seem true. to be ever, ever any shortage of people getting, being born and, and and taking their last breath, right? Well, and, it's, <laughs> and being what's unborn. crazy about yeah. it is like you know yeah. actually
2: the the guys that owned the funeral home before us, uh, their son when he was doing his accounting uh, education uh, during his statistics class, I think it was, he basically went over like the fifty year history of this business and tried to plot out. When, like, were there busier times of the oh. year? Were there, you know, things like that? Because we really like to believe that, like, oh, it gets really busy at Christmas time or it gets really busy, you know, at certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. And, like, over the 50-year, like, pattern, it showed that there's absolutely no pattern to this business. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh,
3: Crazy. wow, that's really surprising. I think we're just
2: really much more in tune, like, to the emotional side of loss at times like Christmas. So we paid differently, oh, That's true. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, interesting. You know, sure, so I think, really... like, we're just paying a lot more right. closer attention to who's dying at Christmas time than right. we do in,
3: Hmm. Right. Because like maybe because 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 not having a family member around at a certain time of year hits us differently than it might. at some, Yeah. And you know, I do sure. think
2: like there are yeah. busier days surrounding the Christmas season. Like I remember the busiest day ever for me in, in the history was was a boxing day. And I swear to God, man, there's like this like unspoken will to live where it's just like, you know, like these right. great grandmas are just like holding on because everybody will be home for Christmas and then they're right. all home and they're all together. And they're just like, all right, right. you know, that's it's it. safe to go. <laughs> like, no point in trying to get you all together again. Like yeah. I think I'll just you, go now. It, right. I think well, that's that kind of there, interesting. Yeah. That there's
3: something to that. My, my grandmother, my grandmother, you know, uh, died like hours after my mom finally got off the plane, got to the, got to the hospital and was able to, you know, say, Hey, I love you. And then it was, Oh, you made it. Okay. It's time Good to go. But you you hear,
0: you hear stories like that all the time. And I, and I wonder like, um, being so close to like, like knowing so many people who are, who are going through dealing with loss, um, so close to like the time when they have to go through that. Um, in your, in your position, do you hear, like, I'm thinking about like the, almost like the spirituality of it. Like when you hear people talk about like the soul leaving the body or like these experiences when like somebody is near death and they start to, to talk about these things. Um, I'm just wondering, like in, in working in a funeral home and being a a funeral director, do you have opinions or thoughts on like what happens when, when a quote unquote soul leaves a body?
2: Yeah. So I like, I'm a huge believer. And so like I grew up in a really religious setting, Um, so, I mean, like, I, I choose to believe in a higher power and I, like, I still call my higher power God. It's just without an expectation of like what your belief is or what, what you call Mm your, you know, spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if like, I, I identify with like, say a certain part of, I don't love the word Christianity in a sense, because I, I don't like, again, I'm not a terribly religious person. I understand religion or I've studied religion and I just don't align with that. Organized part of it. Um, so when we talk about like the soul, that is the part that I would say I'm connected to. You know that I I absolutely believe there's mm. there's a soul, and I think like I think what I love so much about grief is like grief for me is still that space that we can connect with and like truly feel the love of the people that we've lost. You know I feel like grief is this mm. a, like it, not I think grief is an emotion. You know it, it's absolutely defined as emotion. And I think when we can, you know, learn to sit in the discomfort of grief, that's truly where we're going to like reconnect with these people that we've lost to genuinely feel their presence. Mm.
1: Yeah. You know, that to say that's something that like you so rarely hear someone say that the thing that I love about grief, like you, those words came out of your mouth and I was kind of taken aback. But it's, you know, there is something very powerful and there is something very very useful in mm-hmm. that in going through that process. I mean grief is is something that this year this year alone has been I've I've experienced more grief than I ever have in my entire life and it fucking sucks. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot there's a lot to it that sucks, but I also feel like this is I've I've never grown yeah. so much in my entire life. But but one thing that one thing that so speaking about grief and, and about how, Jeremy, how long have you been doing this? I got
2: into it at 18. Uh, I took a short hiatus where I thought like, I got, basically ultimately got homesick, moved back home, tried doing the oil field thing. Okay. Ended up having a disaster of a wreck and like broke my right tib-fib and in a cast for six months. Oh, gee, and gee. Uh, mm-hmm. which was like, okay, right. well, like this is not a future plan for me. And, and uh, yeah, that, that's like, that's right, what right, wrapped right. up the physical labor part of my life. And uh <laughs> And then well, actually while well, I was casted up as is I got back into it. So basically, basically since I was 18, with the exception of about 12 months.
1: Okay. So you've been doing it for a while, uh, a long yeah. time, um, you know, a good chunk of your life. Um, and it, there, so <clears throat> I was talking about this earlier today too. And, and, and I'm, I am, I'm really curious to know your thoughts on this. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking to us, you're, 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 you're talking to us about your emotional intelligence and your ability to empathize with other humans and the the positives that you're able to pull out of out of grief. Um, <clears throat> but I I am really so a couple of weeks ago uh, my dog died. We had to put my my dog down, uh, and my wife and I went into the vet to do this process. And the the vet who was putting our dog down, I was, I'll never forget his face. I'll never forget his voice. I'll never forget him from that experience because he was so, he was so amazing. He was so compassionate. He was so, um, he was so calm. Like he really, he really played a huge role in how positive that experience could have and was for, could have been and was for, for me and my wife and when i was thinking about talking to you today i was i was thinking about that vet and thinking about how he must do that and by do that i mean he must like slowly pump in this this juice that kills someone's pet mm-hmm. countless times a week right and the day he did it for us he showed yeah. up and he was amazing and in my head i was going how like how much does that take a toll on someone like himself to, to to witness time after time after time again people coming in to put down their pets, uh, to have this experience that, you know, which I'm sure is like nine times out of ten, it's people who are really mm. raw in their grief. And, and like how much of that job requires him to compartmentalize that while also giving himself you know, being vulnerable and giving himself fully to the people that he's there to serve. And so I was thinking about the same thing about you, you know, it's like you, you're seeing people at their most raw, you're seeing people at their most like heartbroken, you're seeing people at their, at like some of the hardest Mm -hmm. times of their entire life and you are required to hold such space for them. And I'm wondering, like, is there is it a matter of compartmentalization Uh, is, is there, is there like, is there worry for burnout? Is there like, how, how the fuck do you do that? Yeah. So I've been, I've actually been
2: unpacking this exact topic uh, a lot these last couple months. So like, just based on what you told me, Jeremy, I want to kind of like rewalk through the entirety of what you said, like kind of start at the beginning of it. And then uh, I want to unpack if it's okay with you, just like a little bit of like the other types of loss you've experienced throughout the year. Um, You know, come back yeah. to this experience that you had with the vet and then answer your question about like, like, you know, what are the, what's the thought process attached to being able to show up at that level. Right. So i yeah, us yeah. You know, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, to listen to, uh, man, I, I don't, I think getting names right is important. Can you remind me how to pronounce your wife's name? Bridie. You know, Bridie. When, when Bridie's dad died. Yeah and you know like what a fucking what a powerful podcast i'll be honest like i was like listening to that like just wishing there was a way for me to like 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 hit a join button like just to join in on the conversation (laughs) um yeah i think the thing about grief why i talk about like loving grief so much why it's so meaningful to me i think we experience loss to the level that we experience relationship so if you've experienced deep and meaningful relationship whether that's like with a parent with a friend with a pet we're going to experience that loss to the exact same level you know and and so i think like right, right. it sounds like a real fucked up thing but i think like the harder we feel loss it's like the collateral beauty of relationship you know like and and like that's just so important to me you know like i always joke with like bailey and and like my kids aren't quite at that age yet for me to joke about dying with them but um you know i always say like like you know i hope when i die it's the fucking hardest thing that ever happens to you you know because i hope that to me that's a reflection that like i will have taken the time to be a good partner to bailey and that'll i have like taken the time to be a good dad to each of my kids so like Mm. you know i hope they never get over me in a lot of ways um (laughs) you know, is there I hope something I think- in
3: there? Is there something in there where, where, because that, where we experience grief in this, like in, in this relatively intense way, as opposed to the relationship. Cause I think you're on, I think that's a perfect way to put that, that there, that the grief and the, and the, the quality of the relationship are like equal to each other. Yeah. But, but then the, but the relationship mm. is stretched over oftentimes stretched over this like long t- time horizon. Whereas like the
2: grief is like, boom! It's like, like just smokes here. Right. Yeah, and I mean, right. it's, for sure. So, you know, you look yeah. at, um, yeah, I, I think a lot. And I, I think really what I've just done, Jar, is like reworded, you know, Bridie's saying like, you know, grief is the price of love,
0: right? Mm, that's what I was thinking of when you are saying Yeah, that. so yeah, it's yeah. just
2: like those are just the words that yeah. I use for it, you know, like a very similar uh, idea. Um, and yeah, so when we talk about these experiences of, of loss, one of the things, you know, and one of the things like I've heard themed, you know, in your conversations, but then in a lot of conversations where it's like, you know, we really want it to be this like celebration of life, you know, like where we had this, where we had kind of expected this loss or expected this death. And I think, you know, when I, when I apply an actual term to that, it's called like anticipatory grief, right? Where we have the time to prepare for an upcoming loss, yeah, you know, but then bereavement grief reminds us that like we're never ready. You know that like the actual physical severing of that relationship always comes with this like throw punch, you know now I think like we recover from that in a different way, sometimes a faster way because of anticipatory grief, but the actual physical severing of that relationship when the soul leaves the body, you know uh that's tough man like that is a that is because like yeah. here's the thing about like you know i i one of my favorite moments. In, a, in funeral arrangements is, like, sitting across the table in a conversation like this, where I think we've been really preconditioned to be a glass-half-full society, you know, where we have to sit at the table and we have to be fucking thankful for everything that was a part of this life. And, like, that's not a terrible thing to be a part of the conversation. My point is is I think that's just a part of the conversation. So, like, you know, my one of my favorite moments in funeral arrangements is, like, sitting with somebody that's lost their their 90-year-old mom, you know, and we talk about, like, the steps of, you know, I've not invested in burial or cremation or, or what a family chooses. Um, you know, I, I just truly believe our job is to enable and educate families to make the decisions best for their family, you know, but right. so when I we get to the point of that conversation, they're like, you know, it was just her shell, it was just the thing, and it was like, it, it was, and I respect that, but, like, but it's still your mom. It's still a really important shell, you know, like, not only did it house all of these memories and house all of these relationships, it also housed you at one point in time in her life, mm. right? So it's, right. it's not to at all interfere with, like, with your wishes. It's just to create an, an awareness and acknowledgement that, like, we appreciate the trust you've put in us to take care of the shell on your behalf in all of the ways that you're not going to be able to as a family. We promise to take care of her for you. Mm. You know, that just because death has occurred... That we don't remove relationship, you know, that this is still your mom, this is still your dad, this is still this person to you, you know, and and I think that's a really powerful thing for people to hear, you know, and 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 I think that goes back to like those steps of like vulnerability, connection, trust, relationship, you know, is is that we can we can really deeply connect with people in those moments. And so a little Mm. distracted from the stuff you were saying there, Jared, but I think, you know, when you look at how hard of a year you've had. Um, it's not a glass half full comment to say like, I'm really fucking glad you're having such a hard year in your grief because that means you had the opportunity to experience a very meaningful relationship at some point in time in your life. And not everybody will go through that. Yeah. Not everybody will experience grief <coughs> to that level. And that's really fucking sad to me.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah
2: you know and then so like if we we move into some of the next parts of the conversation like you talked about um like just the like say the mannerisms or the way like if I had to like totally try to read between the lines of the story like I'm I'm assuming at some point in time this like when when you and, and Bridie took your dog to the vet like did they explain the steps of what was going to happen that day right like yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. It was, you know, like every, every step of the way, like, this is what's going to happen next is what's going to happen next. You know, I won't do it until you tell me to. And it was like all on your own terms. I love it. You know, because what that does, you know, and,
2: and something very similar Mm -hmm. that I do in in our experiences where we attach a process to the experience to create comfort and predictability. Right. Mm. Because, Mm here's the thing about Mm. the really difficult things that we're all going to go through in life. It's not going to make them any less emotional, but we absolutely have the opportunity to remove the fear from it. What makes me so fucking passionate Mm. about what I do. And it's what it makes me especially passionate about helping walk kids through loss is that we absolutely have the opportunity to attach a process to difficult things, to create comfort and predictability because if you can predict the outcome, even if it's a really hard one, you know, we naturally just have a much higher level of comfort with it, you know, or level of peace, you know, that we know that when you've now been educated and you've been enabled to make decisions in what feels like a very uncontrolled environment, you know, which makes you start to feel like you're back in control a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, that when, when he pushes that into the dog for the, you know, to, to end that life, right. The final you know, time. Yeah, you, yeah. you participated in your loss mm. and like that changes yeah. everything.
1: Do you, do you think these, do you think these processes and, and like, you know, these, it, it sounds, I'm picturing like, I have this image that's coming up in my head picturing like you, Jeremy, like basically holding the hand of the, of the person who's going through the grief and like, slowly walking them down this path. Do you think that that process of like guidance is one of the ways that, that you as an individual avoids or, or manages like this, this idea of like compassion fatigue?
2: (laughs) I'm not a huge believer in compassion fatigue and I'll tell you why. Um, And this is like, honestly, I just put this towards last Thursday. I just did a a session with uh, victim services and RCMP, and like I learned so much in conversations like this, like just from learning how to talk out loud about this stuff, right? And it was like in this. Actually, it was like did a did a two hour session uh, on grief and loss, and then did some Q and A stuff, and then after we were talking about uh, just like how to show up in these environments, and. The thing that – I actually just did a post on this this morning um, talking about how can we become emotionally invested without getting emotionally attached. Mm. And, like, I don't know, Mm. like, that I have a specific process. I feel like that's just, like, one of these internal, like, abilities that I have to, like, truly emotionally invest and meet you in your loss – without attaching myself to your loss because I also know it's not like, it's not possible for me to like take on the grief of every single person that invites us in. Mm -hmm.
0: You you know, what's really funny is um, I heard this, this um, quote because I, I I identify with this feeling a lot. um, And as somebody who I feel like Jeremy, I feel like you and I um, feel the same way about, about these things. And there's kind of two examples that I want to bring up. And I have a, close relationship with a friend who has some pretty serious mental health issues. And he has always expressed to me that he feels guilty coming to me when he's struggling because he's putting that weight or, or burden on me to have to deal with it too. But I never feel that way because right. instead of feeling like exhausted by helping him cope emotionally with the challenges that he faces, I feel, I feel like grateful or almost like the sense of, a uh, reward of like, I I've built this relationship with this person where they trust me to the point where they are coming to me with yeah. the biggest challenges that they face. So instead of like feeling bummed out by having to be there to support them, I feel energized and like grateful that I have this relationship with this person where I can be the person that they, they come to in that situation. Yeah. See Bri, but I don't think everyone feels that way.
1: Right. I think a lot of people actually struggle with like, with having that kind of energy pl- placed on them. And, and I, I think, think a lot that, of people don't but, feel like, you know, maybe they maybe, don't, they
3: don't feel like they're, <clears throat> yeah, you're yeah, right. Maybe not I, feel the, the quote that yeah. I wanted
0: to kind of bring up and, and it's
1: a
3: bit
0: <gasps> controversial is, um, I think it was my yoga teacher that said it to me was, was, um, mother Teresa Gandhi. And he, he named a bunch of people who were like these like great, like philanthropists, um, throughout history. And he's like, those are the s- most selfish people who've ever lived. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, what the fuck? Really? Like, so those are the most selfless people who ever lived. He's like, no, they're selfish because they were, their life purpose was to do service for others. And so they were fulfilling their own life purpose in a, in a selfish, not selfish way, the way that we think of the word selfish in like, they're doing it only for themselves. They're doing it for themselves in the way that they believe that their life goal is to live in the service of others.
2: Like almost like so like self focused mm. on this goal, you know, like mm. that easy to interpret as being selfish.
0: Right. And it's yeah. like obviously like the like it's the semantics of it that is just like meant to be thought provoking in the way that it was said and and presented. Yeah. Um and yeah. also to like get you to be like, huh? What? And like think about it. And he always said, do not accept or reject what I say, just contemplate it and think about what if that was to be true. But I kind of think of it think of it and and I hear what you're saying, Taylor and jared like in in the sense of like maybe people are emotionally exhausted by this stuff because they're not equipped to deal with it or because other people don't feel that way, but hmm. you know what if we did feel that way like what if we could feel like that as a society and where we could feel that instead of hmm. feeling like instead of feeling like you're you're um when somebody comes to you with a a challenge or this um emotional weight that they're carrying around and 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 they give some of it to you instead of feeling like you're taking it and actually shouldering that weight too you feel like you're actually just taking it off of them and putting it to the side you know and right. i don't know that's right. just kind of the way like I, I jeremy i feel like you feel that way and yeah, i don't know if Yeah and, and i think like i think accurate. i can
2: like totally Brian align with what you're saying you know where i can show up in these environments and genuinely in my opinion show up for somebody else with with emotion without becoming attached Mm -hmm. and and so but Mm -hmm. i recognize Mm -hmm. that i don't think that is something that everybody is equipped with so when we introduce words like compassion fatigue i think it's people that entered into a career or entered into an environment you know with the intention of helping but they don't know how to not get attached to that person's Mm -hmm. experience yeah and i think that is that's an exhausting place to live Mm -hmm. right and and it's also something there that like
3: that speaks to like how um how like predisposed you are to doing what you're doing because Mm. people people ask us that people especially when we started doing this podcast ask us that all the time like how are you Mm -hmm. having all these conversations with people isn't it a bummer because you're just listening to people tell you about how sick they are all the time Mm -hmm. and isn't that just horrible and it's like well no because it's actually a really uplifting conversation like we end up having learning something about this person, making a new friend, having a laugh. And, 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 and although the, the, the hard parts are, are hard. Yeah. It, we, you know, we, feel, like you said, Brian, like we feel rewarded for being able to have that conversation and it's a positive experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the thing is, is like when you meet people in vulnerable environments, like, we skip the bullshit. Like, we're not going to talk about the weather or, like, you know, yeah. or, like, what Dude, what yeah. shitty hobbies you like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, like like, really, like, we're here with purpose. And I think that's what I love so much about, like, difficult conversation is, like, in every single environment, if you are talking about something difficult, you are there with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the type of conversation you have access to, which doesn't mean, like, you know, recognizing – not everybody takes the opportunity to access that level of the conversation. But if you're willing to lean into the discomfort of that, like it's fucking magical what can become a part of that experience. You know, yeah. and that's like, that is the part I love so much about being a funeral director is is learning at a very early age, like how to, like, I'm absolutely, you know, comfortable with the idea, like if we are sitting with the family that has walked through unimaginable loss like I will cry with that family you know and I will truly Ooh. sit with them in that emotion because like it is it's it's sad like um I remember listening to the one podcast uh oh, I hope I get this right was it Estelle yeah, yeah. and yeah. was her son's yeah. name yeah. Frankie am I getting this right Tommy ah Tommy. shoot Tommy yeah um totally. pretty good though
1: <laughs> yeah you're close yeah man but damn, like damn good and games, like
2: yeah. i was fucking weeping <clears throat> listening to that yeah but like yeah. what i love about that it was like truly like yeah. in in a completely different capacity just by listening not even participating you know but part like participating mm. in the conversation now when i say participate i mean like even the willingness to change the way we listen to a podcast right and i'll never forget yeah. and i probably yeah. used it in almost every single death ed event I've done since listening to that, talking about when she, um, Jerry, I think it was you, you were talking about saying like, I can't imagine what that would be like and how she was able to interrupt with you and, and and said something along the lines of like, you can imagine, I can see it in your voice. You can, I can hear it. You know, I can hear it in your emotion. You absolutely can imagine. You just don't want Mm -hmm. to, you know? and, And I love that, that man, that, that podcast changed the way I talk about grief. I think about that moment. I think about that moment all the time. Oh man. (laughs) And because like here's the thing, this is this is now when I get to talk about it in my settings is I get to recognize that you know what like the difference between us and those that are grieving is we get to choose to leave that emotion. We can imagine what it was like or Mm. what it would be like. You know, I've got kids, I've got a wife, I've got dogs, I can imagine what it would be like if any one of these things or people died. I just choose not to stay in that emotion because of how hard it is to sit there. Right? You know, and, and when you recognize right. that that's yeah. your choice, but then those that are grieving no longer have a say in that, I think it leads to the ultimate compassion of being able to reapproach them in a very yeah. meaningful way.
1: Jeremy, there's <clears throat> this is uh, first of all, I want to <laughs> say this is fucking awesome. I'm so into this right now. Um, uh, I there's we we have a we have a, a pretty like robust and and frankly uh, kick ass Patreon community, and um, they heard that we were talking to you today, and a number of them sent in some questions, and I feel like um, I, yeah, I really want to get to these because I feel like uh, there's a lot of value within them. Um, you, you mentioned that you have three children, um, and you, you kind of talked about kids earlier, earlier in the discussion, but this, this question, uh, from Patreon comes in from Deirdre and Heather. How do
2: you talk about death with kids? Um, and now like, I'll give you the actual tangible steps attached to what I would do anytime I enter into, uh, into conversation with kids. Um, I think recently you guys had a friend of mine, uh, you did a podcast with Dr. Jody, right? I think yeah. su- I was kind of surprised yeah. she wasn't here today. I yeah, thought she was Jody um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but, <laughs> is, you know, I don't know if you guys got into this at all with Joe about like, like keeping kids regulated. Did she talk about the lid flip and stuff with you guys? No. Okay. No. So like, no, like no YouTube, her lid flip stuff. It's, it's, it's really, really good content. Uh, it's super knowledgeable. So funeral directors are definitely not doctors so I will do my best to stay in my lane but explain this in a way that's very practical to you know in an everyday way uh, so when we talk about walking kids through grief and loss you know un- undeniably it is it is uncomfortable conversation for a couple of reasons number one is you know there's not a real road map and how to get through that and number two is like we've kind of already touched on this very few people have been with the tools to talk to kids about hard shit right like it'd be like giving me a tool right, belt and right. saying like go build the garage well like <laughs> you could provide me with the best of the tools and all of the supplies and and i promise you it would end up anything but a garage so it's sort of ridiculous that we create this expectation that we should just be able to talk to our kids about hard stuff because if nobody ever showed us how like how would we know mm-hmm. right um right. so Some of the tangible things that we can do is is the first thing is if you're going to talk to a kid about hard stuff, make sure that they're like having something to eat or like something to drink. Because when we talk about the lid flip, what that is, is humans have this thing called the prefrontal cortex. And when it's attached, that's what allows us to be regulated. It's what allows us to be present, to learn, you know, to to truly, you know, be in that moment and be able to be educated. Uh, When our lid is flipped, it's kind of like that fight or flight mode. You know, and and it's like the lid flip is is like the example is like if you go to the grocery store and there's a kid laying on the floor, kicking and screaming, throwing an absolute goddamn tantrum in the middle of the mall kind of thing. Like and and you know, people will say, like, look at that kid, he's flipping his lid, right? But it's because he's like he's no longer regulated. His his prefrontal cortex is no longer attached and like you will absolutely not access that kid if if that is not attached, right? Mm. So the thing is, is like, sure. because that's where regulation lies, before I enter into hard conversation with the kid, like, get out the fruit snacks, get out the juice boxes, like you can't regulate with carrot sticks, like get them eating something that they want, you know, and and start mm. the conversation from a place that you know is regulated. Because at at the very least, at the beginning of the conversation, you know, you have their ears and their heart, Right. So start with that. And then here's the, you know, my, my next step would be is like, you need to be absolutely genuinely honest with kids, you know, like kids can smell the bullshit before their feet hit the floor, you know, like, it's just like, and it's like, you know, Mm. I, when I talk about this, in, in you know, doing talks, I joke about like, it's like if we're at like a friend's house and like, let's say like the kids are like, Hey, can we go to the lake tomorrow? Can we do this tomorrow? And it's like, they see me like hit that third drink, and I'm just like, yeah, we'll see what happens, right? And they're just like, fuck, we're not doing anything tomorrow. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because it doesn't matter what yeah, version yeah. of you know you try to give them, like, you know, like kids absolutely see through our bullshit. Yeah.
3: Wait, but is so, that your third?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. you just want to have tea tonight, Daddy. That sounds fun. And uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> but so, like, you, you have to be, like, you have to approach it with genuine honesty. And I think you can do that with age-appropriate mm-hmm. levels of the truth. Meaning, you know, like, when I talk to my six-year-old about their grandma getting breast cancer is completely different than the way I approach that conversation with my 10-year-old. Mm. You know, that at mm. six years old, mm-hmm. you know, when I say the word cancer, you know, what I really need to just get through is that, like, that this is a, that, that grandma is sick, you know, and... You know, and this is what mm, this life is mm-hmm. going to look like for her. Like, we have to take her to the doctor, and she has all of these things coming up. And it's very generalized, but it's still very much the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that grandma is sick. I've attached right. a name to it. It's called cancer. You know, and I've given her all of the age-appropriate truth that she's able to process. And I, here's the thing about kids. If sure. they need to know more, they will absolutely ask you right mm-hmm. you know so like right. sometimes mm-hmm. we overshare because like we and like it just confuses them even more mm-hmm. so that's why i talk about the age appropriate when i reapproach that conversation with my 10 year old you know like we can go a little bit deeper like i can say breast cancer versus just cancer because you know like she's got more understanding of what an anatomy is and and you know and, and we can attach sure. a little bit yeah. you know and then i can introduce like well the first part of this is is chemo or radiation or you know like what i mean like so like it's just It's looking at this and not trying to approach kids with this, like, blanket idea of, you know, how to talk to kids about loss. Well, like, I think it's, like, how do you talk to a four-year-old? How do you talk to five, six, eight, ten? You know what I mean? Like, reapplying that in each environment because it's a brand new conversation in each Mm -hmm. way. And I just went through this, like, my big thing about grief, and I know, like, you guys this month are going to be really talking um, about a lot of topics surrounding death. But here's the thing about grief. Grief is our emotional and behavioral response to loss, not death. And where loss lives, grief will follow. Mm. So, when my mom got her diagnosis uh, of breast cancer, and even though, uh, like, right from the very beginning, there was an end goal, you know, like they caught it early, Uh, it was going to be a shitty couple of years, but like we had every reason to believe that at the other end of this, you know, she would be cancer free, there was still an incredible amount of loss in that experience for my family. Mm -hmm. Right, and so like, and the only way to like, in my opinion, to to move forward with our loss is to activate it and participate. You know, and activate in that grief, and and in a very different way, kind of mourn all the parts of our life that were never the same. Right, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I think it's just really Mm -hmm. important, especially when we start talking about kids, that that we start to have a greater awareness of the places that loss will live for kids, you know, like a statistic, like 40% of kids will lose a parent to divorce. Right. That's fucking huge. Like if you're an educator, almost half of your class, you know, at some point in time in your career will have lost the relationship of a parent to divorce or a changed relationship because of divorce. Right. You know, and and if grief is our emotional behavioral response to that, like if we can simply just acknowledge the way that your life changed because of this lost relationship, I think it f- fucking changes the entire trajectory of that kid's outcome by Is somebody there, being able to see them in that right, environment. Sure, yeah. Is
0: there a way to do that, like practically, though? Because like I hear what you're saying, and I and I totally connect with it. And then I'm just wondering, like, how do we how do we actually acknowledge that? Like, what does that actually look yeah. like in
2: practice? So I think like with kids specifically. I think we need to learn how to have that conversation with them. And, I mean, a tool that we use and a tool that I've been equipping educators with this year, uh, like, we try to, like, kind of have a family supper every night of the week. Like, that's our, that's, like, the time that we really put our best effort in to be together. It doesn't always happen, of course, but uh, because everybody's eating, everybody's having something to drink, like, we're all regulated, right? You know, like, it, it just backs up why we do that. Right. Uh, and then we use a tool called the Happy Crappies, which is, like, we teach our kids how to have conversation with contrasting emotion. What was the happiest part of your day? What was the crappiest Ooh. part of your day? Because, and here's, like, the important part of that when we talk to kids about this stuff. I need to be as emotionally invested in the shitty part of your day as the good part of your day. Mm-hmm. That I do not allow the high of Ooh. the day to be any more glorified than the low of your day. Right? You know, because this is the thing about I like, again, I'll keep saying what I love so much about grief is I think that takes that concept to one level higher where contrasting emotion is not just going to be a part of one conversation. I think you can have contrasting emotion in the exact same moment. I think you can be absolutely fucking heartbroken that your mom or dad or partner just died, and completely relieved because their quality of life was so minimal at the end.
0: Dude, that's and I think so, you can feel yeah, that at the yeah, exact right. same moment. I I yeah. love that idea of the crap yeah. the the happy crappies because yeah. I like I feel like I lived most of my life like feeling like. Uh, up until this point, having like glorifying happiness over every other emotion. And it wasn't until I watched the movie inside out at like 28 years old <laughs> that I was like, Oh shit. All of the emotions
3: matter equally. When you yeah, were yeah, right. uh, with kids, like do you, do you have any, do you have any thought process around, um, not just like how to talk to kids about, about a, a relative or a friend or that's sick, but just like the idea of introducing the idea of like introducing the idea <laughs> of death, even when there's, even when you're not like immediately confronted, confronted with it. Like I, I'm, I'm reminded of a, I'm reminded of a situation. We, you know we've answered this question. We've asked this question in a few, a, a few separate times over the course of doing the podcast. And, and, and I, and I'm reminded of the situation where we had like some relatives over and, and, um and a nephew of mine was like, um, was sitting there and, and my, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, they, they said something between each other. And what, one of them said something along the lines of like, Hey, is so, did so-and-so die? And, um, and, uh, and my sister-in-law was like, was like, what? Like, like kind of flabbergasted that we just said that in front of the kids. Right. And, and was like, right. D-A-D-E-A, you mean D-E-A-D. Like something yeah. like that. No, I and, mean dead. And,
2: like, did they die? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And, and I, like they're and no I, longer here yeah, anymore. Yeah, and I
3: and I kind of just it's,
2: like I, it's a state I just, of being, <laughs> like being alive. You can also be dead. Yeah, yeah. and, and I just watched. I just
3: I just looked at it, and they were, you know, they were probably one was one would have been like three, and one of them would have been like seven, something like that, six or seven. And I and I just remember being like, huh, is that the way?
2: yeah <laughs> like is that the way
3: i don't i don't think it is right. but i'm i'm i'm, I'm obviously, I obviously didn't i didn't step, step in and like stamp my authority on it or anything yeah but, um but i'm just like i just it <laughs> yeah, just stuck right, out right. to me as like i wonder what the like how do you start introducing that idea like is there an age that's too young is there an a like it should it be just getting it normalized the idea of death because right from the very beginning of the conversation it stuck out to me that what jer said and that was actually where i lost my train of thought that a lot of people do get into the business that you're in because they come into it via their family and they're brought up and death is very much a part of their life from a very early age. So like that normalization Mm. is happening very young Mm -hmm. and, and, and obviously it Mm -hmm. wasn't for you, um, or I don't think it was, or because you came to it later on in your life and you're, you're, you're a first generation funeral director, but where, where, what kind of insight do you have on that? Like, I, I don't know if I attach a it.
2: specific age to it because here's my thing. I think kids are extremely <laughs> resilient as long as again, we can attach a process, you know, that we don't just like fucking throw right, the shit right. at them and expect them to catch it and move forward with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my experience with that is again, I think as parents, uh, honestly I think it's up to us to begin to recognize the opportunities we have to teach them about hard things when they experience that type of loss in a different setting meaning not so close to them so like when the neighbor dies when grandpa's Mm -hmm. friend dies when you know like we're just like we have the opportunity to introduce and here's the thing it's you know I think Taylor like what it sounds like that environment that you were in is like sometimes it's just letting them be in the room. Like you don't need to sit them down and talk about it. It's just allowing them to continue to be present where we don't like swoop in and and guard them from, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this conversation where we allow them to be present, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and to me, I think, you know, what that shows kids is again, is it's just like we do create space for these types of conversations because there will be a day that comes that they do lose somebody much closer to them or a much more meaningful relationship and this is the thing I've learned about kids. Kids absolutely <coughs> rely on previous experiences to help guide them through their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if they've been invited mm-hmm. into loss mm-hmm. or death at a different point in time or they've been allowed to participate, they will absolutely recall on that. And sometimes all they need to do is just know that, like, okay, this is something we talk about. I remember them talking about Grandpa's friend. I remember them talking about the neighbor, right? So, like, I guess if I have something to say, I can speak up because they showed me how. And so Mm -hmm. I think absolutely, like, the normalizing. And, and like, this is the part about it that I think is really, really important. How do we normalize these conversations without dehumanizing them, without making death not a big deal? Because I think death is a big deal, right? You Mm -hmm. know, but and I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I think think it's just figured out in these conversations. I think that's something I can just figure out sitting down with my kids and just truly, like introducing the topic or introducing the conversation and then asking them questions, you know, and then making space for them. I'll give you an example. Um, when my grandfather died that, uh, that I was especially close with and uh, you know, he, he passed away down in Yuma and, uh, and I'll give you a kind of like, do we have time to give you like the, the whole nine yards on this okay. Give it
1: to us um yeah give it yeah yeah give it to
2: us it was at a time in my career where i'll be forward and saying i was like over invested meaning like uh i do a process now now where it's like i try to go inward before outward in grief and i think this kind of ties back to like emotionally invested versus emotionally attached where like i found myself really attached to mm-hmm. the roles of what i was doing and like i absolutely like did that when my grandpa died as well uh which makes sense but before, so he died in Yuma, and, and why I, I preface this with that is I actually flew to Yuma and uh, bought my grandpa and dressed him uh, to get him ready to to fly home and like drove him. Wait, to the where's airport. where's Yuma? Wow, in Arizona. Okay, you can tend to Yuma, and so uh, yeah, so he he had just kind of recently been married, um, and the reason that happened was we'd served a family earlier that year who went through something similar. Uh, where like where their dad had passed away down in Yuma and we had a funeral home in the area uh, help us out. And like by the time this person was was back to Canada, it just didn't go the way that we, we wished it would have gone. And my grandpa <laughs> happened to be home at that point in time. He said, how did that all go? And I'd said, I was like, you know, like, I really wish I could do it again because without inserting myself, I would have at least offered to the family to go down on their behalf Mm. and make sure everything was how it was supposed to be so that when we get your loved one back in our care, it's, you know, it's to our expectation. Right. And, uh, and I said, like, I just wish Mm. at the very least we would have offered that family that opportunity. And uh, Mm. which goes like way outside of anything we were taught to do in our roles. Like, you know, Yeah. yeah. And anyway, so like, like, it was like no bullshit. Like four weeks later, my grandpa dies completely unexpectedly in Yuma Whoa. yeah, and I was like okay huh. i guess I guess I'm going to get yeah, them uh, opportunity yeah and uh and so we uh before I left i like tying this back into the kids, uh one of my favorite pastimes like i'm I like outdoors stuff i'm I'm a hunter, uh you know like it's it's one of my favorite hobbies, and that's something I include my kids in uh, they're often there with me when i'm I'm doing that. And Harper, my oldest at the time, was, I think she was four years old. And so I, I went into her room and um, was just explaining what had happened to great-grandpa, who she very much had a relationship with. And, you know, I said, you know, uh, Grandpa and, and Grandma Ellie, they were out at a dance, and um, Grandpa's heart stopped working, and, uh, and he, he, he died. Grandpa died and you know I explained that like what I was going to do like dad is somebody that helps take care of people when they die and you know I think it's really important to me that I go down to take care of great-grandpa and get him home safe um, so that we can spend time with him once more as a family and uh, like just like again just attach the process Mm. to all of it and like she was like super engaged it wasn't emotional at all like you know, and then, and so like I go right. through this and I'm like, man, I fucking nailed it. Like, I mean, like, I like <laughs> checked all the boxes as far as I was concerned, right? And I said, like, do you have any questions? And, uh, and she was like, yeah, I do. I said, okay. And she was like, well, who shot him? <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad you asked. I'm not sure. We're actually investigating his new wife right now. Uh, She's in questioning at the moment. And we're not really sure what kind of dance this was. You know, like, were they all throwing their watches in the bowl? Like, what was happening? Um, Right? Uh, But it was just like, I was like, holy shit. But I never made the connection that, like, you know, owning a funeral home and hunting, you know, ended life in completely different ways, obviously. You know, but, like, that was just her interpretation was that, like, Mm -hmm. when somebody died, it was, you know, as a result of a gunshot. And uh, (laughs) so I was, like, super fucking glad that she asked for clarification (laughs) because it was a really easy correction, right? Mm -hmm. By by intentionally entering into that conversation with my four-year-old, I was able to, like, immediately put something, you know, to rest that likely was quite intimidating for her.
3: Yeah, she mm-hmm. would have right? just gone on thinking. Right, someone killed. Well, I guess I guess he was shot. Right, and yeah. like yeah. right, and yeah. so like
2: that's why I say Taylor. Like, I hesitate to ever like wow. say what is the appropriate age because like mm-hmm. if we don't answer the question for them, or if we don't create the space for them to ask the question, like like I think she would have asked that question at three years old. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, so and, sure, and I want to yeah. just I yeah. want to
3: say that the reason that I the reason that I mean we spent quite a bit of time talking about kids and and. Is because, and the reason why I think it's so important is because, is because I think that that our lack, uh, the general lack of understanding or willingness to 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 sort of sit with the idea of death of loved ones and our and especially our own death in society at large, like all over the world, is it plays a big role in 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 it plays a big role in how we could improve totally. as a as a as a species, and obviously kids. Yeah. Are the next ones that are going to be the ones that are inhabiting this place, and I think if if we can have, if we can instill a better understanding of what death is and, and a more of a normalized sense of what death is from a young age for more young people for more kids, then I think we'll just inevitably that will just inevitably roll into a better future. Thousand, a a thousand ways. percent.
2: I think it changes mm-hmm. the entire trajectory of grief when we introduce kids into these settings. Mm-hmm. You know, and and like a big part mm-hmm. of the thing yeah. I've gotten throughout my career. You know, was like like I don't want to seem like this like some kind of like crazy funeral director rebel that is just like refuses to live within the law. Um I just from a very young age refused to accept the answer of like, well, that's not really our job mm-hmm. because my retort was always like, mm. then whose fucking job mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. <laughs> who is going to engage with these sure. kids? Yeah, who right. is going yeah. to educate them? Who is going to do all you know yeah. all of these things? You know, and and like I think that's what I love so much about like where I ended up in my life is, you know, like I think back to being 16 and 17 and, and trying to answer this ridiculous question of what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And like I said, like, you know, for me, it was like somewhere Mm. within like being a youth pastor or being an educator. And like, I've like found this like really fucking meaningful place where like I get to teach kids in a very like what I call a spiritual environment. And it's like almost like this Mm. like formed hybrid of like me getting to be true to who I am and honor these two things that I thought I wanted to do at one point in time in my life.
0: How fucking perfect is
2: that? It's it's total insanity. Like, you know, like it's just like, it's, it's so crazy. And like, I like, so I don't know, like I more use like the word universe than spirituality, you know, but like, I love the way that the universe like brought this all together in my world to truly like align To, to meet these very like the the emotional connection of those two things that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. right? You know, and and yeah, it's it's just crazy shit, man.
3: Well, the death the death trade has uh, has found has has stumbled upon um, someone special with you there, Jeremy.
2: Thanks, man. absolutely,
1: no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. This has been a real treat of a conversation. Um, and we we are coming up to time. But before we before we wrap, um, how can people find Death Ed? How can people find what you're up to? Um, hey, well, I'll, little, be, uh, I'll be honest.
2: Um, this is a relatively new experience for us. Uh, so I'll do my best because, like, I'm sure it's too bad Bailey's not listening because she would be texting right now just, like, giving me shit because I'm definitely going to forget something. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> is definitely social media platforms are like where i'm most active uh instagram facebook uh death ed.ca uh is is my instagram handle uh i do have a website www.deathed.ca uh currently just going through some rebranding and actually having a new website and everything built uh where you'll be able to find all of our events all of our online events all of our future stuff that we're doing and uh i think you know the thing that i'm just going to continue to do It's just like, you know, I love so much. A lot of the influencers and stuff that I follow is, is honestly, I hope you can hear it in my voice, how much I live for this stuff. Um, and I feel like I really need to, in not like, thanks for the opportunity to plug myself, but I think really who I need to acknowledge in this is every single family that has trusted us to join them in their loss truly to allow us to learn from their grief in a way that is like tangibly let me reenter conversation with this perspective of being able to educate other people. So like, it's just like, I just have such a high level of gratitude for the trust that families put in us as funeral professionals to join them in their loss because I recognize they don't have a say in that death, but they absolutely have a say in the way that they allow us to participate. And and it just is so fucking meaningful to me.
1: Well, we have a high, high amount of gratitude for you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah,
2: guys, I uh, I'm super excited that uh, to have had this opportunity, and and I, you know, when things resume, whatever, whatever they're going to resume, I'm mm-hmm. not into this whole. Unprecedented, you know, but like you know, I I feel confident uh, our paths will cross someday, and I like you know it's gonna. It's gonna get weird i'm a i'm a i'm a intense hugger and uh yeah sweet yeah <laughs> so yeah. i just like look forward to do this we should find a way study. to be
0: at the same conference for sure
2: <laughs> yeah well i think we should just <laughs> yeah, host yeah, one. Yeah, let's, just,
1: like, let's yeah. just have a okay let's yeah. just yeah. do like a grief okay. summit
2: i love that and uh yeah, totally <laughs> yeah man <laughs> thanks Jeremy. cool yeah. well, thanks again awesome. Jeremy. Thank, thank you again. guys take care
1: Well, there we go. Um, our our first little spooktacular themed episode for the month of October. We're going to get spooky all month. Although there was nothing really spooky about that combo,
0: dude. I now, I, I now have two best friends named Jeremy.
1: <laughs> I dude is he I not just love the, this just guy? The nicest guy. The nicest guy. Yeah,
0: and he, he's he was
1: very. Um, you know what I really loved is like you, it really sort of like shone through. Is that the way, is that how you say Sean? Sean yeah. through? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. It's sh- it shone through how, <clears throat> how good he is with people, you know? Like the way that he was, you know, like he took time. He, he, he took time to listen to conversations that we've had specifically about death. Um, like the, the amount of times he referred to Bridie and I and us talking about grief. Mm -hmm. And, and then like taking those words that were said and, and formulating thoughts around that to like kind of give back to, to me, like there was something very cathartic about that conversation for myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Jeremy, if you're listening to this, I just want you to know, I'm really, uh, I'm really grateful for, for that opportunity to have sat and talked with you because, um, yeah, you may, you like. You, you almost helped me through my gr- process of grief, uh, grieving for, for Bigby, for my, for my dog. So, anyway, I hope that you at home listening, wherever you are, also found that to be helpful and that you gained some tools there because uh, that was a really, really, specially, really special, lovely conversation. All right, well, that was it, folks. Uh, we're back every Monday and Friday with episodes. And in the meantime, if you want more content, go on over to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. At Sick Boy Podcast, you can follow God. us there, and uh, lots of fun stuff, and you can stay up to date with what we're up to, and uh, do that. You can also hit us up. Right, Tay? <laughs> did you, Hello. Sorry, did you say that? Did, did you I I
3: fucking d- serve the ball up there? I know, Did you? But did you, you say the? Did you say? <laughs> did you say the Instagram and and sweater? Yeah, am I? Am I? Yeah, deaf? No, what are you? What are you jerking off? Get fucking! <laughs> take your dick out of your hand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God.
3: And if you have any questions or comments uh, or stories that you'd like us to read on the show, you can send those to letters at Sick Podcast, sickboypodcast.com or if you want to apply to be on the show, a very, very separate thing, go to <laughs> sickboypodcast.com slash contact.
1: Oh oh
3: oh, me? Brian, yeah, it yeah Brian, choice? it's your turn now.
1: Jesus man. What are you oh, doing? well
3: I guess I
0: should probably tell you that this podcast is co-produced by Lauren Sankey, Taylor McGilvery, Sleepy Taylor, as we're calling him now, Jeremy Saunders, and myself, Brian Stever. Uh Ooh. we're also managed by Pappy Lonis or uh <laughs> Granddaddy Ooh, grand, Jeff. Grand-appy. Oh grand Pappy Lonis. <laughs> um Grant Pappy Lonis is He's last. such a friggin' amazing human being. I just love he that is. guy. Yeah. and uh, and this episode is mixed and mastered by donovan the meerkat morgan our Air. incredible theme music in this episode is brought to you by take apart and uh, i love all these people that is it for this week until next week
1: well oh, yep sorry I'm that's taylor. My, That's how i <laughs> sign off my other until, no, until next but week my, I'm my, brian. Bad, my bad let's do that again here we <S laughs> go and uh that's it for this week uh, i'm brian i'm taylor I'm Jeremy and this is Sigma.